Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Welcome to the Making Data Simple podcast. Al is here. I hope you're having a great day. I'm certainly happy that you're here. You know, we talk about data, but we talk about pretty much everything else on the planet, from leadership to coaching, technology, innovation. I think today we're going to talk about AI, medicine, believe it or not, medicine always comes in. We've talked about medicine before, but today I have Dr. Sean Bazorgzad, CEO of Potentia Analytics. Sean and I have partnered with client engagements in the past. Let's see if I can do an intro, Sean, and then I'm going to let you take it over for me. But Sean operates at the nexus of computer science and medicine. He is a healthcare leader with a passion for computer science. We'll have to figure out which one comes first. He is the co-founder and CEO of Potentia Analytics. And these are solutions designed to improve operational efficiency in healthcare. He utilizes the latest advances in AI and computational science. He's got a diverse background that includes emergency medicine, data science, healthcare leadership, software development, and he empowers those that work on the front lines of healthcare with his solution. Uh, Sean, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. We've we've worked with clients uh, in the past. We've had a pretty strong relationship. Uh, I plan to uh, take a step back as if we were having a beer and kind of chat about what you're doing for medicine and, and learn more about Potentia as we go here. Welcome. Well, thanks, Al. It's it's always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Thank you for having me on your program. Oh, no, I, I'm happy to have you. I know that you reached out. Do you listen to the podcast? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. I love, I love your podcast. Well... Yes. You see, I was baiting you, trying to get that answer. Yes, I got it. No. Um, <laughs> so, uh, any favorite podcast that you can mention? Anything that strikes your fancy in the past? The, that, the last one that I really liked was the one that had to do with uh, data backup, and I can't remember the guest that you had on, but it was it was really informative. I always learn when I listen to your podcast. <laughs> Good. Well, that's yeah. the intent. As long as I'm learning, I'm selfish. So if I learn, then uh, I figure somebody else has got to be learning someplace too. So, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself. The people I talk to are, you know, technologists at the core, and you may be a technologist at your core, but you're, you started out in medicine. You got to tell me how you start from medicine, an MD degree, and then you end up in technology. Sure. So, Al, my, uh, my background is, is medicine, and I practiced for 20 years as an emergency medicine physician, and, um, you know, through, through my career, then I, I've always kind of had a passion for computer science and data science. So then 12 years ago, I met my, our co-founder, Dr. Shahram Rahimi, who is the chairman of the computer science department at MSU. So Shahram and I kind of got together and, and discussed, you know, how we could expedite um, bringing technology, the latest in in computer science and data science to the business and kind of shorten shorten that go-to-market time for that technology. And and prior to that, I um, I had done research with their department, um, uh, the Department of Computer Science. At that time, Sharon was that was at SIU in Carbondale. So then um, I was I was a faculty member for for some time as an adjunct faculty member. So I always uh, try to kind of marry these two fields of knowledge, you know, medicine and computer science. And the goal was to really try to bring that academic knowledge into the business of medicine in an expedited fashion. And that's how this all started. In your intro, I described you as a healthcare leader with a passion for computer science. Is that in the right order? Or is computer science taken over? It's still healthcare leader by far. Well, I think I think it's in the right order. Um, I, I have I, I must say that three years ago I I gave up my emergency medicine work to do to be the CEO of Potential Analytics full time, and I took over this role three years ago. And I now just do clinical medicine um, enough clinical medicine to keep my license active. So 
but I must still say that um, the in terms of passion, uh, taking care of people and healthcare comes first, and then computer science and data science comes second. Educate me. How do you keep your um, how how did you say it? How do you keep your 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 essentially your your license up to date in addition to potential to do so? Well, it, uh, there are requirements for for me to keep my license active, um, Al. So, so that, that means I have to do a minimum number of clinical hours in a year and I need to do um, continuing medical education work and, and keep track of my credits. So when time comes for my license to be renewed, I can submit those to the state and have my license renewed. So I have to practice. So I do one day of clinical work per week. And so I have seven days, you know, I work some weeks, seven days a week. And, and one of those days is is devoted to the practice of medicine. We're going to get to potential, but uh, how technical are you then? Well, I, um, so, so the question, I always, people ask me, can you write code? You know, so, so that's, <laughs> um, I do, I do kind of mess around with Python. I like Python as a language and, and I, and I would say my, um, my, um, interest, technical interest lies mostly in the data science, um, and, and, and big data. So, so I would say I would put myself as a mediocre data scientist, you know, and, um, I would, I definitely would say potential analytics is very fortunate to have people who are a lot brighter than me in that area. And they kind of lead the charge for, um, for applying the latest and the best, you know, to that area of our work. But I would say I have enough, I have enough knowledge to, to understand this field and, and to, to know how to strategically, guide our company to to move into the right area and do the right projects. Let's put it that way. Well, that's the beauty of it, right? I mean, the beauty of it is putting, surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you. Uh, that's what I've yes. learned over time. And I know it's just, it's kind of a saying, but if you do it in practice, you can get a hell of a lot done. I, I'm with you. So um, yeah. let me ask you this though. If you were to go back to school or talk to your 18 year old self, would you take the same path? That you took previously or would you do something different well um i would take the same path um you know when i when i was applying for medical school al i i applied to electrical and computer engineering and to medicine and i got actually accepted to both so it was a tough decision you know however i think the order in which i did this was the right order because because when I look at my style of leadership and and how I think about all of this, I have a very intimate knowledge of what patients go through and what happens to patients and how I can kind of improve their care and reduce suffering. So, I mean, it sounds a little cheesy, but it's 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 very true. You know, that kind of guides our, our, our um, direction and, and our actions. And I think that... Had I done it the other way around, um, I, my knowledge of, of human suffering and, and, and disease and our healthcare system would have probably not been as in-depth as it is today. So I would say I would have gone the same path. So you would have taken the exact same path, wouldn't have changed it at all. Same thing. Yes, yes. Even if, even if you were to start all over today, if you were 18 years old today, you'd do the same thing. Yes. Okay, fair enough. How so? How do you get involved in technology? You mentioned uh, your partner. What was your partner's name again? Your co-founder. His first name is Shahram. Last name Rahimi. He was at SIU at the time, Southern Southern Illinois University. So Shahram right. and I, I was living in Carbondale, Illinois, and I was working in Carbondale. And Shahram was initially a professor of computer science and then later became the chairman of that department. And Sharon and I um, became friends because I approached the department and I proposed a research project, which they accepted. And then we did that research project. And then that started our kind of collaboration and 
and I um, after like two years after that they they accepted me as an adjunct professor to their department and that kind of started our friendship and then later on uh, we decided to start this company together and this company being Potentia Analytics whose idea was it was it yours first was it a collective approach or well what do you think? Um, I think I think it was a collective approach. I think we, um, Sharon and I, kind of were sitting down and talking about this stuff, and 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 Sharon is kind of like the the reverse of me. He has done a computer science, you know, education, formal education, and he has a passion for medicine. So so I think uh, we complemented each other, and and d- during our conversations, you know, we uh, one time it kind of. Uh, sparked this this kind of interest in trying to apply um, computer science to some of these real world problems in in healthcare and and especially when it came to you know um, uh, staffing and demand capacity optimization and so on. So it was I think it was a collective kind of thing that happened. I mean, you may have mentioned this uh, briefly or in between some of the, the your, your talking points there, but what is your key thesis that you started with uh, that started or initiated potential analytics? Well, the key thesis was, um, was two things. Number one, uh, we said that granular data in healthcare is more available. So we wanted to, to kind of um, shine some, shine some light into this black box that we have, historically called hospitals, you know, and, and, uh, and then, you know, the, the fact that we could, we had the access to, to academic knowledge and, and brain power, we thought that if we could bring that and apply it to the real world problems in healthcare, um, especially when it comes to allocation of resources, you know, then we thought that would be, that would be a wonderful thing. So we, our initial kind of roadmap um, included basically this concept of understanding how the demand for healthcare changes, you know, and, and, and trying to apply that knowledge of fluctuations in demand to uh, allocating resources. So, so then there is more uh, harmony between uh, the need, you know, resources and demand. So that was that was the initial kind of vision of, of the company. When do you cross the thresholds of this being an idea, something that you're kind of interested in and, all right, I'm going to quit my career in medicine and it's time to uh, make this a full-time job. That had to be a big decision. Something must have triggered you to say, this is the right thing at the right time, and there's no better time to do it than now. I'm going to do it. Yeah, you're asking really deep questions today, Al. So yeah, it was, a, <laughs> it was <laughs> you know, it was a really tough decision, but but it was an easy decision to make, and and um, it was kind of uh, a, a lot of there was a lot of feelings of insecurity. You know, what if this fails? You know, um, um, fears of you know, what if you um, then lose your, you lose touch with medicine. And so all of that, but all of that was kind of balanced with the, with the potential to help so many people for the potential to build something that, um, that is bigger than ourselves, you know, and, and I think that also with the acknowledgement that unless you put your heart, heart and soul into this project, um, it's, not as likely to succeed. So it's like really putting putting yourself into this, you know, and not holding anything back. And that decision really was solidified for me um, about four years ago, you know, and, and, and I realized that it's going to take uh, that sacrifice and it's going to take that 100% commitment, you know, and, and, and I made that decision and I jumped in and I have never looked back, Al. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. You made the right decision yeah. then. And this started at 2018. Yeah. Is that is that when uh, Potentia was uh, no. really initiated, or was it 2017, or even earlier? 
No, no. So we we actually started the company in 2014, and and it was initially called RMB Soft, you know, for mm-hmm. after named after my partner's last name and my last name, and then we rebranded in 2017, and um, initially, you know, we got we were able to uh, with our first product that we developed called Symphony. We landed a contract which uh, brought helped us bring enough money into the company to to keep the lights on and to um, to kind of feed some of our research and development um, kind of projects and and then we have done this organic growth kind of a slower growth uh, but but we have been yeah we started in 2014 um, and in 2017 we changed our name. To potential animals. was it was it self-funded until you you know you took on some of your first contracts or venture funded it was self-funded so self-funded. we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and and worked hard you know um watched our budget you know we were pretty frugal <laughs> and and yeah so it was self-funded you know we are uh we have no debts now and we have a positive you know we are positive cash flow and yeah we've been very fortunate yeah sounds like you got a degree in finance as well nicely done <laughs> so is potentia short for potential is that where you came up with potentia or is it different yeah that's so the potential um, um basically um means um power and it's a latin term so uh, so yes so that is the it's the root of the term potential yes all right, so potential analytics. Let's dive in a little bit. So you you kind of explain the concepts that surrounds uh, how we got here and the initiation of the company itself. But what offerings does potential have that you believe are industry leading right now? Could you talk to them? Absolutely. So over the years, Al, our um, our products have kind of um, morphed into this uh, final product, which we call like a command center or mission control type functionality, which conceptually uh, is based on the ability to pull out um, relevant patient data in real time and perform analytics on it, capture the insights, and then feed the insights back to the operations team in real time. So, so think about this. Historically, you know, the way management, you know, healthcare management has operated, uh, it has been based on, you know, certain reports, you know, and certain observations and mixed with some experience, you know, and then the decisions will be made. And, you know, often we have run into this problem of trying to solve Monday's problems on, on Wednesday. And, and it's been kind of, uh, it's been very difficult to have access to real-time information and real-time insights and also have the platform to communicate those insights with the people who are actually doing the work. And and our offering, our, our most significant offering will enable any healthcare organization to do just that, you know, to access their data in real time to analyze it and to put it to work um, in real time and, and make healthcare better for, for their patients. What kind of problems are you solving though? Can you can you talk specifically to use cases and what your yeah. analytics or AI is solving? And as, a, as one part of that question, I'm very curious. One thing I've been concerned about and to get into this business is like HIPAA, protecting mm-hmm. information I got to believe that comes in to play someplace in here in terms of protecting client data. Oh, absolutely. So, um, you know, protected health information, um, you know, is something that um, we, is, is basically a front of mind for us at all times. Um, we do, we do mostly work with, um, with information, patient information that doesn't have, uh, you know, very high level kind of intimate kind of inter- information about that patient. It's more like, you know, a, a, a patient 
kind of like ID, which we can mask. There's all kinds of techniques that we, we use to make sure that privacy is, is um, intact, you know? So, so, so the kinds of problems that we try to solve are, you know, in, in healthcare, we, we have a problem with um, a mismatch between allocation of resources and a demand that may be on a system. So let me, let me explain. So when you look at, for example, think about the flow of patients through an emergency room. So let's say an emergency room that sees 100,000 patients per year, you know, let's say 250 patients per day, uh, has kind of all kinds of patterns of patient flow. And historically, we have always believed that these patterns are random, but they are not. And, and using data science, we are now able to predict uh, not only how many patients are going to walk through our door, but also with what type of problems they're going to show up. And, and, and so that gives us the ability to, to try to allocate the right number of resources and the types of resources at the right time in that emergency room. So, so the flow is much smoother and easier, you know, so there are no, there are no bottlenecks, right? So historically, you know, we have done these kind of uh, scheduling, for example, let's assume, you know, for a moment that let's look at nursing, for example, as a very important resource. And, and, and historically we have, kind of done this pattern of, you know, what, two or three shifts for nurses. And at this time, we have a higher number of nurses. And at this time, we have a lower number of nurses. But but we have basically gone farther and we have said, we can actually direct the scheduling of nurses based on what the demand is going to be on your system. And that means both by analyzing the historical data, we can tell you, what kind of patterns you have and try to match those patterns. And then also by looking at, by doing AI and machine learning, tell you what your near future uh, deviations from your patterns may be and give you kind of a, a, a radar screen that can help you know what kind of uh, changes are coming on the horizon so you have time to deal with that. The, the results are basically taking care of more patients with less resources, right? And, and less burnout, obviously, for the staff because, uh, because the allocation of resources are much more appropriate. Sticking with the emergency room kind of um, example, what does your corpus of data look like? I mean, I know nothing about, I just, I'm just glad that the emergency rooms are there. Take care of you when you need yeah. to. But I know that there's a big, there's, there's process, there's data, there's analytics, there's uh, all kinds of things that are happening to make it all run correctly. So you get access to all the patient records that enter into the emergency room in that case, and then you're able to use machine learning and analytics on top of that data? Yes. So let's say there are like four or five big players in healthcare, healthcare information platform. So let's say Epic, Cerner, Allscript, Meditech. Those are some of the top ones. So what we do, we, we get an, an unstructured feed um, that comes out of any one of those systems through an interface engine. engine. So let's say uh, Cloverleaf is one of the interface engines that a lot of U.S. hospitals rely on to communicate information with other uh, systems that need that information. So, so we get an unstructured feed and, and we bring that data in and, and that data is basically, these are like, whether we use FHIR or HL7 format, these are like timestamps of, of all those important things that happen to a patient, you know? So when they arrive, when they see a physician, when they are put into a bed, when tests are ordered, when test results are back. So we basically track that movement for all the patients who walk through the door. And, and one of the functions of the command center is to, you know, put alarms on, on cases that may deviate from what we consider the standard of care or what we consider acceptable. So, for example, you know, uh, an, a 75-year-old person, male, walks in through an emergency room and they say they're having 
um, abdominal pain and and they do some lab tests on them and one of those tests is let's say a, a, a heart attack enzyme and called troponin and and the standards basically say from the time that you get that test um, started until it results you know you sh it should be no more than a certain number of minutes uh, and let's say for like 10 minutes you know and 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 what we will do in the command center is that if if that test gets prolonged then an alarm goes off and that alarm gets delivered to the people who are actually taking care of that patient and and these are these are kind of real-time insights into which part of your operations are actually suffering or not meeting the the standard of care so so then that that hopefully brings the attention of the team that this very critical test is 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 delayed you know and that um that basically raises the situational awareness and hopefully the test gets, they, they fix the problem, the get, test gets done and the patient gets taken care of. And that's one of the, that's one of the examples of, you know, our, our, our system um, has four pillars, you know, pillar number one is what are the things that the hospitals have historically done wrong uh, patterns that we can fix. And that comes usually out of historical data. We get two years of historical data, and then we do our analysis on that. Pillar number two is what things are happening right now that are wrong and we need to fix. And that, that example that I gave you is, is an example of that. And that happens through, you know, the, the signals come, the, the timestamps come through HL7, we analyze it and in real time deliver the alarm to the right people. Pattern, the pillar number three is what's on the horizon for the next three hours, six hours, 12 hours or near future. And, and that's where we do heavy, you know, AI and machine learning to, to give people a sense of which parts of their operations will become a bottleneck. And, and then pillar number four, which is really probably one of the most difficult technically for us uh, or has been difficult for us technically is to give these hospitals, uh, uh, kind of a, a, a virtual hospital where where you can play in that virtual environment, add patients or add resources, and then simulate what ha what would happen. You know, and in a way, uh, you know, our, my partner Dr. Rahimi was talking about a digital twin, which is a new concept. You know, and, and trying to build a digital twin for that hospital, and and that is that is really a, a, an amazing process to an amazing tool so that hospitals can actually see by changing certain factors, um, you know, how, how, how their system changes, you know, whether it works better or not. So those are the four pillars of our, of our command center functionality. Wow. That's a lot, man. That's good stuff. It's fascinating. I, um, yeah. you know, I think on the surface, like when you're going back to the ER example, I think, yeah, our na human nature would say that it's random. But when you really start thinking about it, like if it's the 4th of July, you're probably going to have some burns, some themes coming into the emergency room. No different than yes. if it's football season. Uh, you you may need some doctors yes. on staff that uh, some broken fibulas. What I don't know. But I, I, I got to believe that it'd be fascinating in terms of some of the data and the trends and the consistency that you're able to find that you would normally think it. And I presume that that's how the software essentially provides guidance to the facilitators at the, the hospitals. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the, one of the things that we do Al is for any of these um, um, metrics that you're interested in, for example, the one you mentioned, you know, how many patients are going to come through the door? You know, we, we look at, um, you know, a list of 20, 30 different factors and we do our, or analytics, you know, AI and machine learning on it, and try to first find out which one of these factors actually influence that number. You know, so so we have come across very interesting things. For example, you know, we worked on a, on the data from a hospital in Chicago, and we found out that on on the day the day before snowfall, uh, the the arrival of patients goes up, let's say by seven or ten percent. On the day of snowfall, and we defined snowfall as two inches of snow or more, 
you know, then on the day of snowfall, the, the, the arrival of patients goes down by 7 to 10%. And then it comes back again and peaks on the day after. So, so in this hospital, we saw uh, a strong influence of weather on arrival of patients. So therefore, we could help them, you know, um, kind of predict, you know, how to allocate resources. However, you know, we worked on a hospital in the southwest, which, you know, was in a in the desert and had very high heat, and and we we were kind of thinking we we might see kind of a similar influence, you know, in very hot summer days, and we saw no correlation, you know. So, so it all depends on on the hospital, and and we look at sometimes 20, 30 different factors. And, and it may come down to only three, four, or five factors that influence those numbers. And th- those are the ones we will target and we move forward with. Well, I presume at some point, you'll not only be able to alert the hospital, but we're able to get into some kind of uh, prevention, community prevention in the future when we're able to predict some of this stuff. Well, uh, knowledge is power, Al. So, so once, <laughs> uh, once we know yeah, these things, right. I guess... We can, uh, we can always think about how to handle it. But let me tell you something really funny. I, not every hospital CEO actually is open to even learning the truth about their system because it's a very overwhelming thing to, to be faced with the data and, and be under the pressure of trying to fix it. You know, like, so, so I understand, um, I understand that that pain and and the pressure. So what we have done really at Potential Analytics is we have decided that we don't want to go tell people, here's your problem. We want to go tell people, here's your problem and here's your solution and, and give them the tool. It's kind of like, uh, you know, we have a, we have an unspoken code, you know, in our, in our company that if you bring up a problem, you better have thought about also the solution that you want to also uh, propose, you know? So, so data and knowledge about operations can make some people very nervous. You know, some leaders kind of feel overwhelmed. And sometimes they say, oh, I, I don't think I'm ready to know this yet. So, so that kind of goes Ignorance to your point of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so, I mean, one thing I was going to ask you, but I didn't think about your last comment. And I was going to ask you, do you find administrators, uh, doctors that say, hey, I already know it already. I don't need you. Or do you find that they just don't believe that this AI is magic stuff? Or the third one, which I didn't think about till you just said it, is it's actually the pressure of trying to fix the information they get. They'd rather be ignorant about it and not know it. Which is the latter category the most prevalent? Um, no, I think the most uh, prevalent, Al, is uh, people who who are trying to understand, come to grips with this ability to, to put data to work and, and do these predictions and, and then make those predictions kind of help their operations. So I think it's more, you know, I can't tell you how many times CEOs of hospitals or, or, or administrators have told me, oh, well, we don't need the system. We get reports, you know, like, or we get, we have fancy dashboards, you know, so, so it's because they haven't seen it, it's, it's hard to imagine it, right? So I tell them, yes, you have dashboards, there's some lag time, but those dashboards don't have the logic built into it to determine what kind of things are wrong and then to give you the tool to go fix it in real time and automate the whole thing, you know? So, mm-hmm. so it, but, but most often, they kind of say, well, yeah, we have, we have enough data, or I, I hear that a lot. You know, we have, we have enough reports or we have enough data. And, and I think it's really just a matter of kind of like educating and show them, showing them enough examples and so on. The one that you, the one that you, you brought up as, uh, you know, hospital, you know, administrators who are nervous about uh, uncovering problems is not as prevalent. You know, most, most administrators kind of, say, you know, I want to know, even if I don't have the, the answers, you know, I like to know. So, yeah. So, but, so what's your biggest inhibitor then to the sale then just because we've already got enough dashboards and data, that's the biggest one. Hey, we got a lot. 
Yeah, so so it's really interesting. You know, the biggest um, um, integration with the hospital systems was one of the biggest problems that I think kept us uh, from getting some of these contracts signed. So because most hospital IT systems are overworked and overwhelmed and they have so many projects on their plates. So, so we try to solve that problem by uh, making sure that we have very little expectations of, of those internal IT resources, right? So we told them, hey, give us an unstructured feed. We'll do all the work on our side. So that was one thing. And, and we are constantly trying to improve on that. You know, uh, uh, the other thing that, that I already alluded to is most administrators want to see uh, adoption of technology and, and they want to see a system that is that has uh, that takes the data from the time it's born in their system all the way to traveling to our system extracting the insight and feeding it back to the people and those people acting on it uh, in the least amount with the least amount of lag you know so they so often we come up short uh, in in trying to make sure we close the loop you know so that was one of the things in our presentations that I felt like we were not doing a good job. So, so we kind of changed that. And when we, now we sit down with people, we tell them, listen, we're going to help you close this loop and we will deliver that insight to the right people. You tell us who to deliver it to, but we will do all of that. We will kind of, so now we have a command center playbook, which has kind of like a template and they, they go through and they kind of define their own benchmarks and so on. And then, then we help them implement the whole thing. So those two points, integration uh, and, and IT resource requirements and uh, implementation were the two that kind of kept us initially at the beginning, you know, out of out of these, some of these deals being signed. Before I forget, has the pandemic helped or hurt you? I mean, I would imagine it, it would have really driven business. We talked about disease progression being a huge opportunity or a huge problem to solve for, but did it help or hurt, you think? Well, I think the pandemic has really helped us, you know, in, in our business. And I think it has, um, it has brought the, the attention of people to the need for, um, for data that, that flows fast, that can be analyzed fast, that decisions can be made on and then implemented really in a timely manner. So I would say the pandemic has actually uh, made um, hospitals um, kind of think about a command center of, of sorts and the ability to bring all the data into one place from different sources and be able to act on it. So I think the pandemic has helped, Al. But from a personal perspective, in terms of potential, was it a huge growth time because of the opportunity and people seeking your command center solution? It has been a huge boom during the pandemic, but we expect, you know, as a result of the, the, the awareness and the awareness increasing and, and the need kind of coming more into focus, we expect this kind of positive trajectory, which we have been seeing to actually get even to become even better, you know, for us. So in the next year or two, we have great hopes for this. Tell me a little bit more how this plays out, though. Do you work, like, by example, alongside the Cerner system? Like, is there a widget in there? Or when you talk yeah. about command center, is it independent of any other system? And it's really tracking one of the four pillars within, like, when I, when I hear command center, I envision a screen on the wall or in an office or otherwise that's really just giving me all kinds of data. What is happening right now, as you put it, uh, that, that's the one pillar. And then if I want to go do some analytics or look at historical patterns, I would go into my office and then use your backend uh, analytics to actually see what's going on, do historical mm -hmm. patterns, predictions, do your digital twin, and then come out and then use that for staffing or et cetera. How does it play out for the customers out there? Yeah. So that's a really good point, Al. So one of the most important things that we tell our customers is that this command center um, is, is really more of a concept than a physical place. So our biggest client 
which uh, Al, you know, and and they have this <laughs> beautiful facility, and and it, and it's uh, they have they have uh, full time staff, and it looks like the NASA kind of mission control room. Um, they have a dedicated place for it. However, it's not really necessary. You know, this this is more of a concept. So so if you have a team that is, let's say, uh, you know, your command center team in your hospital, they can actually be sitting in front of their uh, terminals in different places. They can be sitting at home and securely connecting with this command center user interface, which is web-based, and then and then kind of doing their work. So it's really more the concept of command center. It's more the ability to bring in the data into one place from different sources, analyze it in real time, and have some kind of a communication mechanism that automatically feeds the stuff to to many people in the hospital to raise their situational awareness, give them prescriptions about what to do with the data, you know, things like that. So, so in that sense, we 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 run we act independent of those uh, health record systems, you know, like Cerner. You know, uh, mm-hmm. however, uh, how, however, those systems are 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 an important source of information to come into the command center. You know, they're not the only source. You know, we get information from HR systems. You know, we get information, you know, about the weather, you know, disease progression, all of that. However, they're they're a big part of the source of information uh, that helps us map the movements of the patient. But but this command center uh, functions independent of those systems. But is the command center its own application or is there cases instances where you do have a screen up where it's showing you what's going on in the ER or otherwise to, to see, you know, the status of latest events. Well, yeah. So we have, so we have, uh, we have a menu of, of functions. And so that menu can, is broken down by department. So let's say emergency medicine, they're inpatient or, or radiology. So, so you can go into the emergency medicine part of the menu. And once it, you click on it, it gives you all the data walls that have been made for that department. So there may be seven or eight of them. And and then uh, you can have all of them up on seven or eight different screens, or you can have one up. Um, and, and you can, we also have a data wall that is for patients, you know, that they can see, you know, uh, what are the metrics that influences the the, the, the wait time or, or, you know, things that, that kind of they can relate to and, and be better informed. And then also there's a, there's a data wall that says, okay, so far, you know, how much of a difference we have made, you know, by through this command center functionality. So those, so you have a menu and you can basically click on different parts of that and, and, and look at the live data kind of in front of you uh, being displayed in a very specific way, by the way, our concept has always been, you know, simplicity and then show the data in the most simple way that, that delivers that message uh, very concisely and without doubt. So, so yes, we, um, you, can, you can look at different parts of this and, and the choice is yours or you can actually have them all open and be looking at all of them. Who, who are your clients? Are they all hospitals or are they also clinics? Um... I mean, yeah. I, I suppose there's so, a lot of different use cases, but yeah. So our um, that's a really good good question. So we we do have uh, we have our, our focus has been healthcare and obviously hospital hospital systems. Um, uh, however, recently um, we have done a command center project, uh, which is which is completed and and it's operational for the second largest dental service organization in, in Canada called 123 Dentist. So uh, 123 Dentist has uh, approximately 350 clinics. And, and that's why this command center functionality is really important for them because they can bring data out of these, you know, 350 different um, clinics into one place, perform the analytics and then deliver the insights to their operations team. So, so we didn't, we kind of got into that area um, through an intro, introduction and then, and, and it was not something we were seeking, you know, or we were actively pursuing entering the dental industry. 
But as you said, you know, the concept is it can be applied to many different industries. And it's something that is um, it makes sense for a lot of different people who have to manage, you know, complex kind of moving parts um, that may be geographically, by the way, uh, in different locations, such as this company, 123 Dentist, has 350 clinics all across Canada. So they're geographically uh, spread out. So, yes, um, but, but our focus is definitely healthcare systems and hospitals. Um, and and um, we have initially targeted hospitals and healthcare systems with $500 million of total revenue or more, which kind nice. of indicates kind of some level of complexity. Yeah. Who is your biggest yes. competitor? So there are competitors out there that, um, that claim... Uh, you know, they're doing this command center functionality um, and building a command center. And, and interestingly enough, one of the clients that we started working with actually had uh, an experience with GE that they were not satisfied with. And so therefore, they came to us. And, and as you know, you know, we've been working with IBM and trying to be basically cloud pack. Uh, for data compliant, you know, and we can leverage that to if, if, if clients have that system in place, we can we can work with that. And so so I would say GE is one of our competitors and there are other um, um, smaller companies um, that that are in this space. But there are, you know, the command center term is a term that can be that many people use. Like there are even some call centers that call themselves command center, you know. With regards to building that digital twin and the simulation engine, um, I haven't seen any work that is at, as kind of advanced as ours in that area. And of course, um, you know, these, these large EHRs, you know, um, have, have certain uh, products that do some of the things that our command center does. For example, Epic has the Epic Grand Central, uh, which is supposed to kind of direct patient flow and and so so i would say um some of the big ehr companies um ge um, and some other smaller companies in the u.s kind of do this kind of work so you mentioned uh the digital twin as a differentiator as they get into the space but what do you think you do better than anybody else that they can't beat you on well i think that the number one we have um put a lot of emphasis on on building the simulation or the digital twin so the hospitals can actually work in that environment and test their hypothesis before they do expensive changes. Um, I also think that we have carried this all the way, um, um, that carried the data all the way through and closed the loop. So that means not only we have taken the lag away from the system, it's all really fast, but we also have connected the insights into a communication platform that delivers the message or the action that needs to be taken to the right person, you know? So, so I feel like those are the differentiators, you know? So like other systems out there are doing, you know, like the, the reporting, they may even do the reporting in real time, you know, and the visualizations are beautiful, but I, I'm not aware of any, any systems out there that carry this, you know, all the way through and close the loop. I presume your mission objective as you move forward is just growth, growth, growth. Um, having said that, uh, I got to believe there's a lot of interest, maybe even by Cerner, Epic, others that say, boy, I'd like to have what you have. Do you think that, uh, you know, where do you think you'll be in two years? Do you think you'll be still independent and growing uh, gangbusters? Or do you think, you know, we'll partner with somebody and, uh, and then use that partnership to, to scale? Well, uh, that's a really interesting question, um, Al. I, 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 I feel like whatever, whatever path kind of helps us get this technology to a broader kind of audience, you know, and, and, and not only in the U.S., but also globally, um, I would fully support that. And I think that that should be the main driving factor is that how can this technology serve others? And then I think all the other considerations, which are which are important, you know, like um, I think including you know finances and all of that should really come um, come after that. So I would say, uh, if we ever get approached by a, a, a bigger partner, you know, who 
who says, "Hey, I like what you guys are doing, and come and come and we'll 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 support you. Go go expand this." I I would say, well, that would be pretty awesome, you know. So, and I and I feel like that that is on the horizon for us, you know. So we'll see. Well, speaking from IBM, we've worked together in the past, and I certainly hope we work together in the future. You accelerate our side, and I think hopefully we accelerate your side. Look, any questions that I didn't ask that you wish I would have asked? No, um, you you asked some pretty tough questions there, Al. (laughs) (laughs) I got a little personal at first, didn't I? I like that. What do you do for fun, man? What do you do for fun? Uh, You know, I I have a collection of bonsai, so I, 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 I love plants, you know, and... Um, so that's something that I do. I I love. I just bought a, a 1978 Land Cruiser, which is and I imported it from Holland. You know, so it's it's. Um, uh, I I like cars. You know, and uh-huh. um, I have a small farm. So I I and I'm planning to do a road bike trip with my son to go to Yukon. You know, so those are you know those are some of the things that I do for fun. Sounds like you're awfully busy, man. Yeah. <laughs> How do nothing, you have time to do nothing. all this stuff? You know, some of them are like play. You know, I don't know. I just, uh, it, you know, it, it. I don't look at it as as work, and I find the time to do it. So, yeah. How about you, Good Al? You. What about you? you? <laughs> what about me? Look, yeah. uh, I work all the time. No, that's not true. Well, it is true. But uh, what I do is, uh, I go to the lake. I go golfing. I drink wine. I like bourbon. I got to pull out back. Sometimes I act like I'm, uh, I am uh, on vacation. I just walk out my back door. And it's been so hot lately that it, it works. Uh, next week, I'm actually going to play golf at Whistling Straits in the U.S., which is uh, very hard to get onto, but a buddy of mine got onto it. And so we're heading oh. to golf a couple of days up there. That's where I'm not good enough to golf that course. There's no question. So I'm going to have a caddy. And I envision me and my caddy in the woods looking for my ball. That, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> I live in the Northwest and in the summer, it's beautiful here. And the nature is amazing. And there are some beautiful golf courses. So if you ever happen to come this way, you know, I would love to be your host and for us to hang <laughs> out. And I won't, I will be your caddy because I can't hit a golf ball you know, save my life. So <laughs> I can hit it, but it, no telling where it's going to land. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? Well, you know, you just for... to be out there in the, in the golf course is just the main thing. Yeah. That's look, I hope it's cooler next week too, but you yeah, absolutely, I like to be outside yeah. walking. It's going to be a great time. Thank you for being on yeah. Sean. It's always, I was looking forward to this and it's lived up to the expectation. It's always fun chatting with you. And uh, I, I genuinely mean it. When I say I hope we get to work together here in the future and find a common customer that we can partner on. Love, I would love that. Thank you very much, Al. Have a wonderful day, my friend. All right, you do the same. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> hey, I love you for, for being here. Hey, hit us on Al Martin Talks Data at gmail.com. We listen. If you want to be on, we'd like to hear from you. Or if you just have a, a suggestion or a a comment to make, we'll listen to that too. So love you. See you later. I'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye.